pericope of Scripture today is 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Read the first 23 verses of this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were examples to us, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above what you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, free from idolatry, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold Israel after the flesh. Are, they, are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then? That the idol is anything, or that which is offered to, in sacrifice to idols is anything. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, 
but all things edify not. So far the reading of God's word. Based on these passages about the cup of blessing and the bread that we break, we look at Lord's Day 29 and part of Lord's Day 30. Page 17 in the back of your Psalters. Lord's Day 29 and the first part of Lord's Day 30. Do, not, do then the bread and the wine become the very body and blood of Christ? Answer, not at all. But as the water in baptism is not changed into the blood of Christ, neither is the washing away of sin itself being only the sign and confirmation thereof appointed of God, so the bread in the Lord's Supper is not changed into the very body of Christ, though agreeably to nature and properties of sacraments, it is called the body of Christ Jesus. Question 79. Why then doth Christ call the bread his body and the cup his blood? or the new covenant in his blood. And Paul, the communion of the body and the blood of Christ. Answer, Christ speaks thus, not without great reason, namely not only thereby to teach us that as the bread and wine support this temporal life, so his crucified body and shed blood are the true meat and drink whereby our souls are fed to eternal life. But more especially by these visible signs and pledges to assure us that we are as really partakers of his true body and blood by the operation of the Holy Ghost as we receive by the mouths of our bodies these holy signs in remembrance of him and all his sufferings and obedience are as certainly ours as if we had in our own person suffered and made a satisfaction for our sins to God. Lord's Day 30, question 80. What difference is there between the Lord's Supper and the Popish Mass? Answer. The Lord's Supper testifies to us that we have a full pardon of all sin by the only sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which he himself has at once accomplished on the cross. And that we, by the Holy Ghost, are engrafted into Christ, who, according to his human nature, is not now on earth, but in heaven at the right hand of God his Father, and will there be worshipped by us. But the Mass teaches that the living and the dead have not the pardon of sins through the sufferings of Christ, unless Christ is also daily offered for them by the priest. And further, that Christ is bodily under the form of bread and wine, and therefore is to be worshipped in them, so that the Mass at bottom is nothing else than a denial of the one sacrifice and sufferings of Jesus Christ and an accursed idolatry. 
Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, last week we considered the Lord's Supper from the point of view that it is a table of communion where God is pleased to fellowship with Christ's body. And we are that family of God then as we sit with Christ at his table. Today we consider the nature of the banquet that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, you heard me right. I called it a spiritual banquet. One might ask the question, here you get this tiny little piece of bread and you get this little thimble full of wine. You call that a meal, let alone a banquet? And the answer is yes. Because although, humanly speaking, we don't have much to eat with our mouth or to drink with our mouth, represented is Christ Jesus in his person and in all of his blessings, what a banquet we partake of, not only in the preaching of the word, but also in the sacrament. So we're going to look at the nature of that banquet that is ours in the Lord's Supper. You might ask, is there still such a need for careful treatment of the Lord's Supper? We all understand that because the issue at the time of the writing of the catechism, there was extensive teaching that needed to take place. Three Lord's Days on this one sacrament. Is that still proper to have such a long, lengthy treatment of the sacrament of the supper? And is it proper to have such harsh language as we have in Lord's Day uh, 80? Question 80. That at bottom, the Mass is nothing but a denial of of the one sacrifice and suffering of Jesus Christ, and then especially, and it is an accursed idolatry. We've been looking last week at the signs of the Lord's Supper. There is a table, not an altar. On the table there is bread and wine, And before our eyes, the bread is broken and the wine is poured out. And we have the word of God that comes to us and we take, partake together as a body, as a family of this supper. What beautiful fellowship that is. Now this morning, the spiritual banquet of the Lord's Supper. Notice, first of all, the provision. The provision in the elements on the Lord's table. The provision in the operation that takes place there. And thirdly, the provision in the testimony. One of the very important questions that we face in this Lord's Day is how is Christ present in the elements? Well, that's the first point, isn't it? The provision in the elements. How is Christ present there? To be regretted 
the Lord's Supper, which symbolizes the unity of the family of God, is the subject of so much division in the churches. But the issue is not unimportant. How is Christ present? How do you and I receive Christ Jesus? The question has to do, first of all, with whether Christ is present at the table of the Lord, and then second of all, how is Christ present in and at the Lord's Supper? And our view on that makes a difference with how we use the Supper. Whether we use the Supper superstitiously or believingly, whether we use it carefully or carelessly, what is our attitude when we come to the table of the Lord? There are different views. As I said, it has divided the church. And the Reformers here reflect the teaching and argue against it, especially of the Roman Catholic Mass. Rome teaches, notice, not only taught, still teaches that Christ is physically present in the elements on the Lord's table. That the, the substance of the material of the elements has changed, and thus it's called transubstantiation. The substance is changed into something else. When the priest prays over the bread and prays over the wine, magically the bread becomes his body and the wine becomes his blood. And that is why the use of wafers, lest any little part of Jesus' body gets strewn on the floor, or whether when drinking the wine we spill some of it. The teaching that Christ is physically in the elements, and therefore Christ has to be worshipped in the elements. You will remember at the end of our communion form, when the minister comes down to the table, the minister reads from the form and says, let us not cling with our hearts to the bread and the wine, but rather lift them up in heaven where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So there is the wrong teaching of Rome that Christ is physically in the elements that they become his body and blood and they worship the bread and the wine and that is why question and answer 80 answers that the Catholic Mass is nothing but an accursed idolatry. Second of all, Lutherans worship the elements because they believe that the body of Christ Jesus, the physical body of Christ Jesus, is in and under and around the elements. Why did Luther, such a champion of the Reformation that were justified by faith, fall into that same error, really, as Rome, 
And it's because of God's word. It is because of what Jesus said when he had, not the Last Supper now, but the communion with his disciples. Judas was already dismissed. But Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body. And so Luther taught that Jesus' human nature took on the same attributes as his divine nature so that Jesus is humanly on every communion table physically, wherever the supper is celebrated, called consubstantiation. The substance of Christ's body is with the elements. Over against those two false views about Christ's presence, Zwingli went the other direction, and the pendulum swung too far the other direction. And Zwingli said, and those followers of Zwingli today say, Christ isn't present in the Lord's Supper. It's just bread and wine, and it's just a memorial. We remember that once Christ was sacrificed for our sins, and his blood was poured out on the cross. It's only a memorial. And so just like with our birthdays or anniversaries, there's nothing really special on those days except we remember something that took place way earlier. And with that view, there is Christ is not even present at the table. It's just a memorial. In those churches, anyone may partake. There's nothing really special about it. Nothing more than a birthday party or an anniversary. A memorial. That's all. Is that all? The Reformed view is that Jesus Christ is present in his supper just as Christ Jesus is present in the preaching of the word. Christ is spiritually present. And we partake of Christ spiritually. The bread, the wine, do not become Christ's physical body. Christ is not physically on the table with and underneath the elements. But neither is Christ completely absent from it. Christ is spiritually there as the host. And he spiritually causes us, and that's the second point, to taste and eat of him and live. And that's why Lord's Day 29 begins the way it does. Do then the bread and the wine become the very body and blood of Christ? And the answer is no. Question 79. Why then does Christ call the bread his body and the cup his blood or the new covenant his blood? Why does Paul call the supper the communion of the body and blood of Christ himself? Boys and girls, try to remember this one phrase. It is sacramental language. It is language that belongs to a sacrament. Where the sign 
is called by the name of the reality. The bread and the wine there on a table are signs to us, but what is the reality behind it? Christ is present with us, and Christ feeds our souls with himself. We're strengthened with Christ's life given to us. Sacramental language. If I were going to use an illustration, I could use a couple of them. Boys and girls, maybe in a geography class I might ask, where is Manila, the Philippines? And you would go to the round globe and you would turn it around and quite a ways away from the United States, along near China and Korea, you look down a little ways and you say, there is Manila, the Philippines. Now, is Manila, the Philippines, really there in your living room or in the classroom there on the, on the globe? No, that is just a sign. It's a picture of where it's at. Let me use another illustration. You haul out a photo, maybe a photo that you had taken on Thanksgiving Day with the whole family or Christmas time. You take out that photo that was taken and you say, this is so-and-so, this is so-and-so, this is so-and-so. No, those are pictures that signify the person that was take there at that party or that gathering that particular time. The bread and the wine are called by the, na uh, the name of the reality to help us with our faith to direct our faith to Christ so that we don't come to the table and say, well, this little piece of bread, that's a banquet. This little thimble of wine, that's a, a, a banquet. But we come to the table and we say, Christ Jesus is there and Christ Jesus serves himself to us. And by faith we partake of Christ. He lives in us. Christ. That is taught in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 29. We read there, for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. What does that mean? Be careful. Be careful when you come to the Lord's table. Be careful even in the preaching of the word that you don't just come there and look at human things, but discern the Lord's body. Discern Christ as he comes in the preaching. Discern Christ's body, of which the bread and the wine are a picture, but Christ's body that was broken on the cross, nailed there, and the blood that poured out. Come in faith. That is why Jesus, when he had that communion with his disciples after the Passover meal, Jesus was standing in front of them and he took bread, we read. And holding it up, he said, this is my body. Quite often when we use that word is, 
We're saying, okay, this is a real fact. But in sacramental language, when Jesus was standing in front of his disciples, there he was, and he holds out this bread. He says, this is my body. He's saying, this signifies my body, which a couple days later would be broken on the cross. And his blood would be poured out on the cross. Only because Christ Jesus is spiritually present can there be any blessing in the supper. We meet with and we enjoy Christ Jesus. Much like with the preaching. Overlook the man and even his language. But when we hear the word of God coming forth, it's Christ Jesus that's being set before us. Discern the Lord's body. Question and answer 80. Evaluates then the false teaching. The false instruction that the mass held by the Roman Catholics is really a communion at all. When you and I come to the Lord's table, don't cling to the bread and the wine. At most, the bread and the wine physically can just whet your appetite. But come in faith. Come beholding Christ Jesus as he is pictured in those elements, as he is spiritually present there, giving himself to us causing us to partake of him and his life for us. Question and answer 80 were not originally in the teaching of this church order or this commentary that we have, the Heidelberg Catechism. It was added later. We recognize that. It was added later on by Frederick, who was concerned about the anathemas that the Roman Catholic Church was throwing against the Reformed believers. He says, I want them to know this explicitly. Don't be afraid of what Rome is saying to you. Christ is not there physically on the table, but he is there only spiritually. The bread and the wine don't change. Sometimes I can think of churches where some of the crumbs of bread, because the, the little plates were so full, some of them dropped on the floor. It's not Christ's body. Or another one of my churches, one of the elders would always take home the leftover bread and he'd make bread pudding from it. It's just plain bread. Get beyond the elements to what they point to, the reality. Christ Jesus now in heaven, who in the appointed time went to the cross. His body was broken there with nails. His blood was poured out for our salvation. What is really wrong? Why does our catechism come so strongly against 
one church, one denomination. And the reason is, they say that the sacrifice of Jesus once for all on the cross is not sufficient. That's not going to save you. But what is needed is every time that the, uh, the priest would pray over the bread and the wine, the priest is sacrificing Jesus over and over, and that has to be done daily. The daily masses that are held. In other words, Jesus is not a complete Savior. Jesus is only a partial Savior by his first act of sacrifice. But the priest... The priest becomes now the occurring one who causes Christ to be sacrificed for you and for me and for our sins. What a sinful, what a sinful and misleading thing. Taking us away from the scriptures, Christ was offered once. Let me read some of those passages. They come from the book of Hebrews. It compares Jesus Christ with all the Old Testament priests. We read in Hebrews 9, verse 25, nor yet that he, that is Christ, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once, in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the offering of himself. Did you notice that? But now, once. Hebrews 9, verse 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Turn with me that page to... Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10 verse 10. We are sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. Not over and over. Hebrews 10 verse 12. After he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, Christ sat down at the right hand of God. You remember the comparison there in that chapter. According to the author of Hebrews, the Old Testament priests could never sit down. They could never sit down because their work was never done. Over and over and over and over again, they had to sacrifice another animal because the blood of animals did not take away one sin. And over against the Old Testament priests then that could never sit down, they had to continue to offer more and more sacrifices. We read there Christ. When he offered up his sacrifice on the cross, he is able in heaven to sit down at the right hand of God, sit down because that one sacrifice takes away all of our sins. Nothing can be added to it. Hebrews 10, verse 14, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. And so the teaching that the priest is offering Christ up over and over on altars in their church is a blatant falsehood. 
a denial of Christ's one sacrifice on the cross. The provision then in the elements, as I wind up our first point, the provision in the elements is they are signs to the reality. Christ Jesus spiritually present here, offering to us his body and his poured out blood. And then we'll get into the operation of it. Christ spiritually here with us in the preaching, Christ spiritually present in the Lord's Supper. Not in and around, under the elements, not becoming the very bread of the body and of blood of Christ, spiritually present here and by his word. So let's move then to the second one, provision in the operation. How is Christ feeding us spiritually? And yes, there is strong language that is used. This is my body, which is given for you. This is my blood poured out for many. Strong language. And that strong language is there as we read in the Catechism not only to teach us, but also to assure us. In other words, it's a seal for us. It's not just a sign, it is a seal of Christ's promise. Christ's promise was that he would give himself for our sins, and that by his sacrifice, our sins are removed, and that as surely as bread and water take care of our physical needs, Christ Jesus alone can take care of our spiritual needs. Just as you are filled, perhaps, let's think back at Thanksgiving Day, and probably your tummies were kind of sore. You were fed a lot of food, and that nourishment is given to you. Maybe more than you should have had. So also spiritually, Christ says, I'm going to be your meat and your drink. Kind of like what we read there in this chapter about the Israelites, right? They were baptized unto Moses. And we read there that even as they ate from the bread that came down from heaven, and as they drank from that spiritual rock that is Christ, you and I, at the Lord's table, through the Lord's operation, by the work of the Holy Spirit, that is, we partake of Christ. We are fed Christ. Because Christ said, didn't he, I am the bread of life. What would happen, boys and girls, if you would not eat? If you would not eat for a couple days? Some of us, when we're sick, there are a couple days that you can't hardly eat anything and you become physically weak. 
And so unless, boys and girls, you eat the good food that mom puts on the table morning and evening, you become physically weak. So also, if not by faith, if we do not partake of Christ daily, we become spiritually weak. And that's why we go to his word daily, isn't it? We don't say, okay, Sunday morning we get the Bible, and Sunday evening we get the Bible, okay, that's enough for the week. No, each day, father or mother or you, if you're single or if you're all living all alone, you go to God's Word to be fed with Christ who is set forth there. And likewise, we come to the table to be fed with Christ Jesus. And yes, in the Lord's Supper, Christ gives us a spiritual feast. There's a seal. By the eating of his body and blood, by faith, we know his, he says, my hearty love and faithfulness towards you. We need that kind of assurance. Sometimes it seems in our life that everything, everyone is against us. And we get into a pity party and say, poor me, everyone's against me. We're never alone. Christ Jesus is always with us and we need that assurance. He loves me. He faithfully provides for me. He continually forgives me my sins He continually, by his Spirit, delivers me from my pollution so that I may live for him and be pleasing to him. How we need to partake of Christ Jesus daily. And so then also in the supper, as we read from John chapter 6 last week, Then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, And my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I am him. Many of Jesus' listeners in that day could not follow that. They didn't have the pouring out of the Holy Spirit then, and they said, what? This is a hard saying. And many of them quit following him. But you and I, by the Holy Spirit, can understand how Christ is here spiritually with us and Christ gives himself to us in his word and through the sacrament to us so that we have that eternal life that is spiritually sustained by Christ Jesus. A spiritual life that cannot be taken away from us. But it goes on from this life into life everlasting. We have nothing without Christ Jesus. In other words, Christ is everything to us. We think quite often physically about 
the things that we need of this world, don't we? We need food to eat. We need something to drink each day. We need money in order to have a house to live in. We are so concerned with bodily things. What about the spiritual things? Do you, do I, daily recognize my need of Christ Jesus spiritually, that he is my life, he is the beginning and he is the end of my salvation, that we have nothing without him, but with him we have everything. That Christ Jesus is worth desiring and seeking and loving and serving. Yes, in January when we again celebrate the Lord's Supper, may we seek Christ Jesus with undivided heart and enjoy him in all of his fullness. But beloved, not just at the table, but may each one of us every time we read God's word, and may we each one of us as we partake of the worship of God on Sunday morning and evening, May we be fed with Christ Jesus. May we seek him with undivided heart. We may we enjoy him in all of his fullness. How does Christ do that in the preaching of the word? How does Christ do that at the Lord's table? And the answer is, we are nourished by the spiritual operation of the Holy Spirit through faith, by the Spirit and through faith. You see, there is an operation of God in, the, in this Lord's Supper, even as there's an operation going on right now in the preaching of the Word. Christ is present there. Although he is physically in heaven, spiritually he is here with his Word and by his Spirit, and he cares for us. And we eat and we drink of him in the supper, even as we eat and drink of him in the preaching of the word, not by this mouth, but only by faith. We seek him by faith, a living faith. And Christ nourishes. Christ strengthens those whom he has already regenerated and has incorporated into his family, the church of Jesus Christ a spiritual nourishment so that given to us as we partake of Christ Jesus, given to us is his righteousness. Given and worked in us is his holiness. He is our wisdom. He is our light. He is our knowledge. And all of these things are assembled and assimilated to ourselves by faith. A spiritual nourishment. And that spiritual food and drink, beloved, in one word is God's grace. God's grace. The beauty of our God poured out on us so that we in Christ Jesus look and act more and more like him. That grace that comes to us which is unmerited by us, purely given by his faithfulness 
his covenant love. Do you recognize Christ as your food? Do you recognize Christ is more necessary to you than the bread and the wine or the bread and the water at your tables? We all know the need for physical food. Do we know our spiritual need of Christ? Our need of him over and over. Isn't that how the two sacraments are different? Baptism does only, is undone only once because it is our incorporation into God's family, the covenant. One can only be brought into that covenant once because once you're in God's covenant, it can never be taken away from you. But in God's covenant, in order to live as his children, we need to feed on Christ daily. We need to drink Christ's blood by faith. Through the operation of the Holy Spirit. Christ imparting himself to us. What a gracious Savior, isn't he? Are you strengthened by Christ Jesus? Do you feel that strengthening Sunday morning, Sunday evening? Do you feel that strengthening of Christ when you have your devotions? And now you say, now I've been fed spiritually. Are you strengthened when we have the Lord's table? Or do you say, okay, we did it again and now we go on our life? Does that sustenance of Christ himself go with you during the week and through the month and through the three months between each time that we have communion? Fed with Christ Jesus, Christ imparting himself to us by his Spirit. We eat and we drink Christ by faith. Our mouth and our hand is that faith that takes Christ Jesus as he sets himself before us in all of his power and beauty. And we say, he's my life. He lives in me and without him I am nothing. So there is a provision in the elements. There is a provision, second of all, in the operation of the Holy Spirit. And through that operation, may we be strengthened more and more in our faith so that we go forth and we live for him. Notice with me thirdly this morning, Christ's provision of us in his testimony. What he says to us in his word. That is the fundamental error of Rome and its mass. We read in question and answer 80, it is nothing else than a denial of the one sacrifice and suffering of Jesus Christ. Nothing more is needed. I don't need a priest. I don't even really need the bread and the wine. Christ gave himself on the cross for us. But the preaching comes to us and the elements along with the preaching to strengthen our faith in him. 
When they say that one does not receive anything unless Christ is sacrificed over and over for one, it's really a denial of the doctrine of election, isn't it? You and I were chosen in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world, and therefore we are blessed with him with all spiritual blessings. Let me read from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 and following. Blessed be the Lord, blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace. What is that passage saying, brothers and sisters? It's saying that already in eternity we were given to Christ, and Christ Jesus, by his death on the cross, has paid for all of our sins. We have in Christ from eternity forgiveness. And a forgiveness that we experience in our lives when we confess our sins, when there's a godly sorrow for sin, the Spirit comes and he says, you're forgiven. You are justified. We have a strength given to us from Christ, one sacrifice by faith, that the Holy Spirit works that holiness in us so that more and more we fight against our sins and we strive to be pleasing to God. It is because we were given to Christ eternally, before the foundation of the world, that Christ came into this world and shed his blood on the cross once for all our salvation. So what a rich testimony we have, not only in the preaching, but now the sacrament along with it. Christ died once for all, for all of our sins. And now by faith in the supper, he causes us to look to Christ who is here spiritually to remember how he suffered there on the cross for our sins with assurance. He died for my sins. Once for all, I am forgiven. I am his. He lives in me, and I live in him. You see, our assurance, beloved, and why the Lord's Supper is so precious to us. Because it pictures our life in Christ Jesus. Let me use another illustration. An infant in its mother's womb. 
that infant in its mother's womb has its own life, doesn't it? As well as the life of the mother. But that infant in the mother's womb is nourished by the mother's blood. Fed. So you and I are new creatures in Christ Jesus, but we are like those babes in their mother's womb. We are babes that are in Christ Jesus. We have new life but we receive our nourishment from being in Christ and Christ in us. Never fear, never doubt. Our salvation was fully accomplished by Jesus Christ once there on the cross, and nothing could take that away. Christ, by his Spirit, applies the merits of that one sacrifice to us. And we receive the justifying forgiveness through faith. So my question to you, have you been strengthened in Christ? Do you recognize that Christ is your all? Do you feed on him daily? Do you drink of him like the Israelites drank from that rock that followed them? Christ, all-sufficient. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy thoughtfulness of us. How we need to be fed daily not just physically, but spiritually. Give us, O oh Father, that strength of faith. Christ lives in us. We're nourished by him. We're nourished by his word. We're nourished by his spiritual presence at the Lord's table. He gives himself to us, and we partake of him. Help us then, Father, to live thankfully, to live obediently, because we are thine. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.